welcome to everyone this morning, and especially if you are a guest with us this morning. We are so happy to have you in service with us today, and pray that the presence and the power of God touches your life in this service this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching us online, wherever you're watching us from, we are wel- we welcome you And it is such a wonderful thing to have my better half back on the platform today. Hallelujah. Amen. If you think it's not the same for you, you have no idea. Amen. So, well, I am very excited because for the first time in weeks... um, We're not having a wonderful, exciting worship service followed by some heavy message. So, 1 Samuel 4, beginning with verse 1, and I'm going to read several verses, and I'll make you the deal that I've made many times in the past. If you'll stand while I read several verses, then you can sit down while I keep standing. Is that a good deal? 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pinched and pitched beside Ebenezer, and his last name isn't Scrooge. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek, and the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field, about 4,000 men. When the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. And we could, we could preach all morning and for weeks on end about the importance, the significance of the presence of God in our lives. The presence of God is not just about what we experience when we come together in this type of a setting. The presence of God is something that we should have abiding in our lives all the time. So the people sent to Shiloh that they, may, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth there, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing therefore there hath not been such a thing heretofore. It's also an amazing thing when the enemy knows the significance of the presence of God. Woe unto us, shall, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are, they, these are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. 
And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. Verse 11 says, The ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. Then if you go a couple of chapters forward to chapter 7, Verse number 12, it says this, And the men did so, and took two milch kine, and tied them to the cart, and shut up in the wrong place. In the wrong verse, that's what I am. I'm not. What is 1 Samuel 7 and 10? Ah, there we go. Verse 10. And the men... That's not it. And is this the same? And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. Is that what y'all are reading? Okay. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto has the Lord helped us. In chapter 4, At Ebenezer, there was a great defeat. But in chapter 7, at the same place, there is a great victory. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject. When the place of tragedy becomes the place of triumph. When the place of tragedy becomes the place of triumph. Father, thank you for your presence that we have experienced in this place. Thank you for the privilege you've given us to worship and exalt your name today, God. Lord, whether you do anything for us or not, you deserve our praise and our worship, and so we thank you for that opportunity. But I also I also know, God, that we can't worship you and praise you without you doing something in return. And so I believe you've already worked and ministered and touched hearts and lives today. But God, I believe that you are not finished with what you desire to do in this place today. And so I pray, Lord, that your word would minister, that you would speak. Father, I pray again today that this would not simply be a sermon to just take up time in this service, but that it would be a word, a message that would come from you and that it would find hearts that are good ground and that we would mix your word today with faith, that we might be profited of it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust you today. I depend on you, Lord. Confess that without you, I can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Ah, I was trying to read in chapter 6. What happens when you're not used to using a Bible anymore? Just using your device. Mystery solved. How many of you have ever hoped at times, or maybe today you're hoping,
for a new beginning, a fresh start. Anybody ever been there? This is not a trick question. I'm not setting you up. That's, that's kind of what happens towards the end of every year, isn't it? We look forward oftentimes to a new year because it's a new start. It's a new beginning. I don't mean to be a, a, a skeptic or cynical, but I've learned, I've lived long enough to now to know there's not really anything that changes between the 31st and the 1st. The changing of the number on the calendar for the year does not bring about some kind of automatic new beginning and change to everything. But I do know there are times and, and, and you know, most of the time we, we sort of write off New Year's resolutions and most of the time if you make them, you don't end up keeping them the first couple of weeks or so of the new year. You can find a lot of uh, gym parking lots packed out with people, but give it a couple of weeks and they'd all die off. And the ones that were there uh, throughout December are the ones that are still there. But, but we've all needed at times, and, and before you were born again, you definitely needed a new beginning, a new start. But I think from a natural standpoint, a new beginning, a fresh start requires, or at least we think it requires, a different setting, a different circumstances, a different scenery. I've watched through, I watched throughout my ministry and, and several situations that, that I can think of specifically where I was involved in trying to give some guidance and counsel to someone going through difficulties and, and, and they, they came to the conclusion, I, I, I just, I, I need a, a new start. I need to move. I, I need to get away. I, I remember one time dealing with a young man. This was back in the days when I was youth pastor and, and, uh, he was in his early teens and his family was in, or he was actually having a lot of issues and causing a lot of turmoil in his family. And, and they didn't have the greatest of living circumstances and all of that. There were some things that worked out. And so that was going to change. They were going to get a new place to live. And it was going to be just night and day improvement over where they were. And I can remember, and it's one of those moments I look back on, and I believe with all of my heart it was God because at that moment I was not, I didn't have enough experience and wisdom yet to say what I said to him. But I, I told him, I said, listen, if you don't deal with the things that are going on inside of you, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to move. Things are going to seem to get better. Circumstances are going to be better. Your living situation is going to be better. But if you don't deal with what's inside, it's only going to be a matter of time before things are just as bad, if not worse, as they are right now. I am very sad to tell you today that is exactly what happened. They moved, his behavior changed for a little while, there was some sense of peace for a little while, but because what was on the inside of him, the bitterness and unforgiveness was not dealt with, it was only a matter of time before things were back to where they were and eventually even got worse. And so it's not, it's not a new... It's not new circumstances, it's not a new place, it's, 
it's, it's, I know that from a natural standpoint, that's what we view as necessary for a new beginning. But can I tell you today that one of the, one of the things that you know is the indicator God has really brought about some things of transformation in your life is when you may not be in a different or a new place, but, but you now are not the way you were. It was at Ebenezer that, that uh, the children of Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant. They understood, and again, based on the passage that we read, it wasn't just the children of Israel that understood the, the, the importance, the significance of the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. The enemy understood. The enemy says God is with them, and, 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 and if God is with them, what, what are we going to do? We've got no chance, and so the, the Philistines go to the, go to the Israelites and they steal the Ark of the Covenant. They take that most valuable piece of furniture. I don't have time to go into the depths of it, but if you don't really know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, just 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 the very simple explanation is it was it was a piece of furniture that was the focal point of the presence of God. It was the focal point of the manifestation of the presence of God. And the Philistines understood it and so they they, they, they steal it from them. And so now this place called Ebenezer is now, it, it, it is now associated with the loss of the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. And I don't know, I meant to try to find it in the midst of my study for this morning and I forgot to do something. I forgot to do so. I don't, I don't know exactly how much time took place between chapter 4 and the taking of the Ark of the Covenant and this victory that takes place in chapter 7, but I think there was some degree of a significant period of time. And it is, it is, no coincidence. It is not by chance that it is back at the same place where this loss happened. That restoration comes. The place that was known as a place of a great tragedy has now become the place of a great triumph. Joseph said to his brethren in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, this is after years, decades in fact, of being separated from them and now being reunited with them and now revealing at first that when Joseph first was reunited with his brethren, they didn't recognize him and there was a period of time that went by that they still didn't recognize him and finally he reveals himself to them and it's in the inner, in, in that interaction that Joseph says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people 
alive. I believe that I could say that every single individual in this place this morning, there have been things in your life that the enemy plotted and planned against you for the intent of destroying you. And God stood back and let the enemy do it and did not stop it because God was going to use what the enemy meant for evil or to destroy you. God was going to turn it around And use it for your good. I suspect, I don't know that I can't think of evidence offhand from the scripture, but just because the fact Joseph was a human being like you and I are, I suspect there had to be some, some years that went by where Joseph was longing to go back to his father's house. That the only way in Joseph's mind for things to be better was I need to go back where I was. Oh, Jesus. But God had something else in mind for Joseph. God's intent was, Joseph, the very place that has felt like a tragedy to you, the very place where you have suffered your loneliness and and, and betrayal and your rejection, that is going to be the very place. In fact, if you go back a few chapters to Genesis 45 and verse number 51, Joseph says, the, the word of the Lord says this, and Joseph called the name of the the firstborn, Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And then he says this in verse 52, And the name of the second son, uh, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful, Where? In the land of my affliction. God has caused me to be fruitful in the very place where all of my suffering and adversity has been. I told y'all I I, I didn't have a heavy whatever. Y'all are acting... Y'all are gun shy or something. There's no shoe to drop this morning. Come on. God has caused me to be fruitful in, in the land of my affliction. The very place I didn't want to be. The very place of my heartache and pain. The, the very place of all these bad memories. God has turned that around and has caused me to be fruitful there. I've come to tell somebody this morning, I know you've been through some tragedies and I know some of you are going through some tragedies, but I've come to tell you today, if you'll just give it time and trust God, the very place of the tragedy can become the place. Let me just give you a couple of other examples throughout Scripture. I'll just stop barely scratch the surface. 
of some of the examples. Hebrews, this is a reference to similar time frame that I'm reading to you scripture-wise, but I'll just read it to you from the, from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the, the chapter that we often call faith's hall of fame. The Bible says in verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace she was she was a citizen of jericho a place that was de- that was uh, uh determined to be destroyed can i can i pause for a moment and ask you whose report will you believe because in the midst of a world, and like it, I don't like it any more than you do, I promise you, but in the midst of a world that has judgment coming, we don't live the way we've decided to live in this world and in this country and not bring judgment on us. We don't kill the number of unborn babies we've killed in this nation and not bring judgment upon us. We, we don't embrace immoral lifestyles and promote them the way we do and not have judgment come upon us. But can I tell you, I've already said it about the children of Israel in Egypt, but I believe the same thing applies because unlike the story of the children in Egypt, uh, uh, Rahab was a Jerichoite, a Jerichoian. She had no right to expect to not be judged and destroyed with the rest of Jericho except for the fact she made a place for God. And so the, 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 the response to her was, there's going to be tragedy all around you. But in the midst of all of that tragedy, I'm going to bring about some triumph in your life. Can I, uh, can I tell, let me, let me, let me just, let me tell somebody, I believe in the Holy Ghost this morning. Some of you are in job situations that you've made up your mind. I just gotta get out. The only peace I'm gonna have is to get out of this job. I need a new job. My boss has lost his mind. They don't treat me right. Let me tell, I'm not, this, this may not apply to everybody, but I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost right now, you just need to hang on because God is gonna take the place of tragedy and turn it around and make it a place of triumph. Rahab perished not. She should have perished. But she found triumph in the midst of what should have been a tragedy. Ruth. The Bible tells us about the story of Ruth. It's named after Ruth, but but there's another character. We don't necessarily reference her quite as much, but there's another character in the story of Ruth that is just really just as significant as Ruth. And that is Naomi, who was Ruth's mother-in-law. Naomi, who, who had a son, a, a, a husband and two sons, but, but there was a famine that came where she lived, and so they decided to leave and go to Moab because apparently there was no famine in Moab. And so she goes to Moab, and, and, and her sons marry Moabite women, and in, in the process of time, her husband dies, and then her two sons die. And now she has two daughters-in-law who are from Moab, but Ruth is from Bethlehem. And so Naomi, Naomi, excuse me, is from Bethlehem. And so Naomi decides she's going back home. 
So she tells her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Naomi, not to be with, confused with a whale or with a TV host show, TV show host. Man, y'all are a tough group. Maybe y'all fire people that weren't moving or mad at me now, so you're not moving. I don't know. She, she, she releases them from any obligation. She says, I'm going back home to my people. You are here with your people, so you are, you are free to do what you want to do. And Orpah says, I'm staying and, 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 and takes Naomi up on the offer. But Ruth responds and says, your people are my people. Your God is my God. And so Ruth, or yes, Ruth, I'm getting all confused here. Ruth follows Naomi back home. But Naomi goes back home to the place where the, the famine was that they ran from. Can I pause for a moment and tell you, the, 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 the name Bethlehem, one of at least the, the meanings of the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Do you know what? Sometimes there may even be a famine in the house of bread. There could potentially be some times where I get up here and preach service after service and you sit there and go, what in the world? And you may not be getting anything to eat. Be careful where you try to go find bread. Because while the house of bread may go through a season with no bread, if it's the house of bread, there's bread that's going to come back at some point. Now I know that in the big scheme of things, it was all a part of the process and the plan that God had. But in some ways, I think you could say Naomi and her family should have just stayed put. But the beauty of it is God works everything together for our good. Naomi comes back home to Bethlehem with Ruth. And when she gets back home, her friends and family, those that know her, begin to greet her. They call out and welcome Naomi home. And she responds to them and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because God hath dealt bitterly with me. And she says this, I went out full, but I've come back empty. Listen to what chapter 4 and verse 14 of Ruth says. This is the last chapter of the book of Ruth. And it says, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. i got to get all bogged down into it, but let me just tell you what the outcome was. Naomi, who thought she had experienced tragedy. Naomi, who had determined, my life is over. She wasn't going back to Bethlehem 
with great hopes and expectations for her future. Oh, somebody hear me. She wasn't going back to Bethlehem with dreams of how wonderful her life was going to be. She went back to Bethlehem with a survival mentality. She went back to Bethlehem with the idea, I'm just going to live out the rest of my life in misery. But God had purposed and planned that a place that at one point had been a tragedy for her was going to end up as a triumph. Because when you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, what you will find out is that in the genealogy, if you read, I believe it's the genealogy that Matthew lists, if you read the genealogy of Jesus in, in the book of Matthew, it is, it is primarily the men who were the, the ancestors of Jesus. But there are Three or four, I think it's four. In the midst of that, oh, hallelujah. In the midst of the genealogy of Jesus and all of these men, there are four ladies who are mentioned. But what is interesting about all four of these ladies is all four of them have bad reputations or things that are against them. Ah. Don't make this one of those messages where I got great expectations and it just... All of the other good women, upstanding women were not mentioned. In fact, one of the other four that's mentioned, I just read to you about her. Get get this, get this, get this. The woman who was a harlot in the first city the children of Israel were going to take in the promised land that God said, everything in that city belongs to me. Don't take anything. Destroy it all. Not only does she escape. Not only does she escape that judgment. She becomes a part of the genealogy Of Jesus Christ. And Ruth, not necessarily that she had a bad reputation, but she was a Moabite woman. She wasn't a a Jew. But she gets drafted in to be a part of the genealogy of the Messiah. Notice the spotless Lamb of God, Brother Tony. The one that never sinned had a genealogy. Had a family history of sinners. Don't let the devil try to dictate what God can do in your future. By the mistakes that might be in your past or in your family tree. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think or could I add expect. 
Judges chapter 14, verse 5 says this. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him as he would have rent a kid. Anybody ever wished you could just rent a kid? I mean like in the sense of rent, lease. We're not in this sense of tear apart. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And there's all there's a spirit of squirrels in here this morning. <laughs> Boy, there are all kind of rabbit trails in these verses. Let me let me paraphrase this. If this was written in 2022. Let me give you the interpretation of verse 6. Samson did not go post on social media his spiritual exploits. You might want to be careful. Because when you go boasting about the battles you've won, God may just decide to let it be the last one. Because He never does something through you with the intention of you now using it to validate yourself or to gain something. That was free, not in the notes, so I'm assuming somebody. And He went down... And talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother. And he gave them and they did eat but he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Some of you have gone through and some of you are going through battles that God is setting those battles up to be provisions for your future. It was the carcass of the lion that wanted to destroy him. That turned around to become the place of the honey that sustained him. Ah, Some of you are fighting some battles right now. You don't understand it. You may not get an explanation for it. But it just might be that God has brought a battle your way. Because he's setting you up for something in the future. So don't miss the very place that seemed like adversity and trial. May become the very place that God provides from. You you don't need a makeover. You don't need a new house or a new car or a new zip code or, or, or a new spouse. I don't know of anybody here that this is the case, so I'm not shooting at anybody. But I gotta tell you, if you've been married and divorced 
three or four times, you might want to start thinking about who may be the... Or you've just got the worst luck of out of anybody in history. But I mean, if you keep going through husbands, because you, you might, or wives, you might want to check. You, you, you could be the source, just, just saying. We're always quick to point fingers at everybody else. There's a lot of times where we've got our finger pointed at everybody else and the true source of the problem is the one we're looking in the mirror at. Anyway, the place of, the place of difficulty, the, the place of your turmoil. Can you imagine? I've thought about this many times. I was thinking about it again and in light of this message, I don't know of, I, I tried to study it again, and if you know of situation, help me out. I, I don't know where Paul, at least from what I read or what I've read, I don't know where Paul himself killed any Christians. I do know Stephen being one that he supported and endorsed. So he may not have been throwing the rocks at Stephen, but he wasn't intervening. But I also know, in fact, he said it. I, I, I forgot. I wanted it in my notes. I, I, it's toward, I think, the latter part of the book of Acts where he acknowledges how he persecuted Christians. So we know he persecuted. He was responsible. In fact, when he was struck down and had his conversion experience, he was headed to persecute Christians. Can you, can you imagine? Think for a moment. Because again, Paul was a human just like the rest of us. And so... Can you imagine what it was like? I, I, I know what it's like to try to teach or preach you and preach to you, and I'm I got the devil in the back of my mind reminding me of my failures and my my mistakes. And I know what it's like to have to try to work through that while I'm preaching, but can you imagine what it had to have been like for Paul to now stand? And try to minister the word of God. There was probably some times, Brother Tommy, that he stood and was teaching, speaking to people who had relatives. That Paul was directly responsible either for their persecution or was a supporter of their death. The psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. You could kind of understand, and it would have been a lot easier if God would have just made Paul a doorkeeper. Because, I mean, you can, you know, 
Somebody comes walking up and, you know, maybe I was responsible for a family member of theirs being persecuted, thrown into prison, or even worse, dying. I mean, you can, you can push the door open. And... But to stand in front and now speak and minister to the very people You know what, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I, I, I've got a couple of grandparents, those are relatives-wise, and there's a lot of other dear people to me, but relative-wise, not relatively, relatives, I, I have a set of grandparents and a grandfather who's passed on. If, if you're one of those people that thinks or wants them, you know, looking down on you, God bless you. But I don't, because I don't do things right all the time. I'd really rather them not see all my bad stuff. I don't know how they see the good stuff and then don't see your bad stuff. Well, the good news is I've now officially done it. Where was I going? We went to visit Sister Rose Lenny Camp the other day, and now I can add this to my list of people I went to see that I should be ministering to who ministered to us. And once or twice in the midst of her talking, she just lost her. And she's all up, like apologetic. I'm like, You're, didn't, didn't she just turn 91? I think 90, 90, she just turned. I'm like, You're 91 years old. I'm 50 years old, and I do that in front of 200 people. At least this is just. Three of us sitting here listening to you. Now I really forgot where I was going with all of that. Paul, persecution, preaching, he did. Y'all were listening. It's not helping me, but you were listening. People looking down. That's, yeah, it feels like that has something to do with it. What was... Yeah, Paul, there we go. Thank you. We got there. Why, God? Why? If Paul could look down from heaven and see some of us sometimes with our struggles of condemnation. He probably is just wagging his head at us. Probably thinking, get over it. At least the stuff you're battling condemnation on over nobody but you and Jesus knows about. I had to stand in front of people and face that you want to talk about your tragedy becoming a triumph. I preached to some people here today that you've dealt with the tragedy of addictions, alcohol, drugs, pornography. I don't think if you, if you got through the tragedy of alcohol, you ought to go hang out at the bar. That's not the point of this message. But you know what? There's some people in this place that God wants to take some tragedies and turn them around as a triumph. It's, it's one thing. 
It's one thing for me to stand here today and tell you, if you are addicted to drugs, God can deliver you. I believe that with all of my, there's no doubt in my mind. But, but here's, the, here's the negative. I've never done drugs. I don't know what it's like to be addicted. So while I can say that and believe that, I acknowledge there's also something about someone who says, not just that God can, not just that I believe He can, but that He did. We've got a world that's living in the tragedy, but needs somebody that now knows what the triumph is to be able to say, I know what it's like to live in the tragedy, but I also know what it's like to experience the triumph. Let me just, let me just add in here. I'm, 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 I'm winding down. Let me just add in here, sometimes we overlook some amazing testimonies. Because some of you here today, based on what you grew up with and what you went through, you should have never gotten married. Because your point of reference is tragedy. But here you are today. And in a place that was tragedy and brought heartache and pain, you're now living in a triumph. Don't miss the significance of the things in your life that God has turned around and is now making for good in your life. I finish with this passage. Another lengthy reading. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. This man had thousands of demons. But even thousands of demons could not keep him from falling and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And they heard 
And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Anybody ever seen those farmer's commercials? Farmer's insurance? That'd be a great one for them to have on their commercial. Somehow, I don't know, a statue of a bunch of drowning swine. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and, it, and in the country. And they went out to see what it, what it was that was done. And they came and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. And he had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And also concerning them, another, concerning the swine, another rabbit trail that's not really a part of the message. Apparently they were used to this man living in the tombs, acting the way he did and didn't even think about it. It wasn't until he was clothed and in his right mind and sitting next to Jesus they got afraid. And they that saw it told them, uh, verse 17, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They began to ask Jesus. You would think the response would be Jesus If you can do that, we want you to stay here. We need... No, they run him off. You know why? Here's my theory on that. They ran him off because they were afraid. If he can do that for them, what's he going to do about me and my stuff? And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with... Get, Get this, get this. I'm almost done. This man that Jesus has delivered, Jesus is now about to depart. And this man comes to Jesus and is, it says prayed, but basically it means he was begging him. Lord, take me with you. I want to go with you. It would stand to reason from the calling of the disciples and many others. It would stand to reason just from that that Jesus would have responded and said, come on. You want to follow me? Follow me. In addition to that, just think about it. Man, Jesus could have, you know, been having his, been preaching his message and called that man up as a living testimony. Not just telling him about it, but saying, look at this guy. Here's what he used to do and be. And so everything makes sense for Jesus to respond and say, come with me. Verse 19 says, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Jesus, I've been living in the tombs, living in the mountains, breaking chains, crying out, can't keep clothes on me. You've now delivered me and set me free. Surely it makes the most sense for me to leave all of this behind and go with you. I I, I do believe, I'm not trying to paint this man in a bad light, I do believe there was a part of that desire that it was a genuine, sincere desire. In fact, I don't know of a greater expression of appreciation and gratitude for what God does for you and me than to say, I want to follow you. 
But I would also imagine there was a part of this man as well that was probably thinking back through whatever length of time it was that he was in this condition. And I would suspect that in his mind he was thinking, I know what God has done for me. And, and it would seem like the completion to that would be to get away from, oh Lord, I've been preaching for 30 years and I, I ought to know better than to respond or judge based on what I see. And I'm judging right now based not on what I see, but the Holy Ghost is in this place. I know we're not believing reports and dancing and shouting right now. It would have seemed to make the most sense to get on that ship and go with Jesus to be able to have a fresh start. (laughs) To go someplace where no one knew him. Nobody knew what he was. Nobody knew how he acted. Because he would have showed up with Jesus and all they would have thought was, Just another follower. There's just another follower of Jesus. Because I'm sure there was a part of him that in those moments leading up to the departure of Jesus knew that while I may have received a miracle, if I stay here, I'm going to have to deal with walking down the street and seeing people whispering and pointing. I'm going to have to deal with people maybe jumping to the other side of the road because even though I've been delivered, they're just not so sure I'm truly... I I, I know he seems to be calm right now, but we know what he was. So I I believe that a part, again, I believe, personally, I believe that the, the, the biggest reason he wanted to go with Jesus, he was just thankful for what Jesus had done. But I also believe there was this side of him that was thinking, I just, I got to get away. But God, in essence, Jesus, in essence, responds and says, I'm going to take the place of your tragedy. And I'm going to turn it in to the place of your triumph. I'm going to take the thing or the place that you made up your mind, I've got to get away from it, and I'm going to turn it around in the same place. Oh, preacher, you're just trying to pump us up. You're just trying to give us some great motivational speech. I can, I can, 
undeniably say that's not the case because sitting in this sanctuary right now all over this place are living examples of what I'm preaching right now. People who are testimonies to the fact God has taken things that were tragedies in their life and has now turned them around to be triumphs in their life. And can I tell you today, God is no respecter of persons. I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this sanctuary right now. Somebody just needs to go ahead and open your heart and your spirit to the Holy Ghost right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, if the Holy Ghost is talking to you right now, would you respond? If you just want to do that right where you are, that's okay. But some of you, maybe you need to get out of your seat right now. And as a step of faith, as a demonstration of faith, walk down to this altar and say, God, I believe today you're going to take what's been tragedy and you're going to turn it into a triumph. Come on, I'm preaching to some saints today that the enemy is trying to beat you up over some tragedies in your past, in your walk with God. But I tell you in the Holy Ghost today, God is going to make it a place of triumph. Come on, if you don't need to respond right now for yourself, would you be sensitive to the Holy Ghost? Come on, would you be sensitive and let the Lord use you right now? God, you're going to make somebody fruitful in the land of their affliction. You're going to make somebody fruitful in the very place where it's been heartache and pain and suffering. You're going to turn it around. You're going to transform it. That old carcass of that lion that was sent to destroy me. You're going to turn it around, God, and make it a place of sweetness, a place to sustain me, God. Come on, I'm preaching to people today that what God intended in your life for evil, excuse me, what the enemy intended, what the enemy plotted against you for evil, God allowed it to happen because he was going to turn it around for your good. Oh, Jesus.
in the name of Jesus. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving. We're not dismissing this morning. I'm not going to dismiss this service. So whenever you need to go, whenever you decide you need to go, you can go. But we're going to let the Holy Ghost do everything He wants to do in this place right now. Because I believe there's a transformation that is taking place in some lives today. Somebody hear me. You may still be living the tragedy right now. You may still be in the midst of the tragedy. And so the Holy Ghost sent me to tell you today, it may still be the tragedy, but hang on. God is going to turn it into your triumph. Come on, somebody, you need to say that right now. Somebody needs to confess it out of your mouth right now. God, the things the enemy meant for evil in my life, you're turning them around for good. God, the enemy, the things the enemy used against me, you allowed them to ultimately work for me. Even if I can't see it right now, even if I don't understand it right now, I'm going to trust that that's what you're doing. I'm going to trust that that's what the outcome is going to be. Turn the place of our affliction into the place of our fruitfulness, God. Transform the place of our affliction into the place of our fruitfulness. Transform the place of barrenness in our lives into a place of fruitfulness. God, if you can use Paul to minister to those that he opposed if you can use Paul to preach the gospel to those that he had persecuted those that he condoned the death of if you can do that through him God you can take our tragedies you can take our failures our mistakes our shortcomings and turn them into triumphs God Lord, I take dominion and authority right now over every voice of condemnation and accusation wars against us your word says it Lord there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in you who walk not after the flesh but walk after the spirit be it unto us today Lord according to your word be it unto us today Lord according to your word in the name of Jesus the name of Jesus 
in the name of Jesus. Lord, let, let that stone of Ebenezer, that stone of hell, that at one point it looked like we were helpless. At one point it was a place of failure. Turn it around now, God, to manifest it as the place of help, the place of transformation, the place of healing. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.